Thanks for watching today at wildwoodchurch.com. Now here's today's message. Good morning. Welcome to Wildwood. My name is Matt Winkfrist. I'm the discipleship pastor and one of the elders here at Wildwood. I'm glad you're here, as has become my custom uh, to begin my sermons. Uh, I've asked you to, to pray along with me. And by pray along with me, I mean out loud. Uh, I know it might feel a little uncomfortable, but I appreciate hearing you praying out loud. I want you to pray for me, that I would uh, remember what God has, wants me to communicate um, clearly uh, through his word. And I pray for, want you to pray for all of us, that we would be sensitive to what God has to say to us, that we would listen, hear, understand, and obey his word. I'll give you probably a little less than a minute to do that out loud when I'm done with that time. When we're done with that time, I'll come up here and pray. You can continue to pray uh, while I'm praying. All right, let's go. And feel free to continue praying. Father, we just uh, we lift up our time to you this morning, and we thank you for who you are. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it is powerful. Uh, thank you for your spirit. Help us to understand what it is we read and what we, what we see this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Plan to remember my Bible this morning. Uh, the second time up was a failure. Um, anyway, this morning uh, we're in Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 17. That will be our main passage of focus this morning. Uh, so, Romans 8, 12 to 17. Um, while you're turning there, uh, I brought a little illustration to get us thinking in the right direction this morning. Um, so, I can hardly see you guys. Hopefully I can read, but um, anybody like baseball? Any baseball fans out there? All right. Good, good. Go Brewers, right? Okay. <laughs> um, anyway, how about any baseball card collectors or sports card collectors in general? Anybody out there that ever did it? Like, uh, yeah. All right. So I collected baseball cards when I was a kid. My parents told me it was a terrible investment. I did it anyway because I like them, and at one point, so what I've got here this morning is a, a Ken Griffey rookie card, Upper Deck, 1989. Um, I was, I, I, I'm a, you know, this card today, if it were graded by PSA, and it was graded a 10, gem mint, it would be worth uh, about $2,000 is what I could, I could get for it. Um, incidentally, it's, it's not graded, it costs money to do that, and I've just never done it. Um, but I'm gonna I'm tell you a little story. Like this card, um, I was searching for it. I paid like $4 a pack. That was a lot of money in that day uh, for a kid to pay for. And I was searching for this card. And when I found it, I already had this plastic case. And as soon as I found it, I was so excited. I put it in the plastic case, snapped it shut. It's been in this case for like 30 years or so. Um, and so 
What I'm going to do this morning is, uh, um, it's not graded, um, but if I, and being that it's not graded, it's, I, I'd be lucky to get $150 for you, but since you trust me, um, I'm going to let it go to you this morning. Anybody want to give me $1,500 for it? Um, I, I, I'm pretty sure if I get this graded, it's a 10. Um, so your, your stand-up, probably once you have it graded, you're going to clear like $300 easy. Anybody want to do it? I mean, even if you had the money and actually wanted to buy a baseball card, it would be a terrible idea, right? Why? Because um, you're taking on all the risk. You have to take my word for it. Rather than a professional grading opinion that says this is a 10, it's a gem mint, um, when, you, when that happens, you, you get a new case. It's got a little label on the top. It says PSA 10, gem mint. And then you have confidence. Why? Because there is a seal of authenticity on the card that says this is indeed what I claim. It's real. It's for real. Similarly, in our... Uh, but still, you know, if you want to take the risk, I'll be standing in the back there at the end, and uh, I will, uh, I'll still take offers, you know. Um, promise all the money will go directly into my bank account. Uh, I will spend it on something frivolous until my wife convinces me that we ought to spend it on something, I don't know, more needed, like property taxes or something boring like that. Um, anyway, there is a seal, and very much like that, uh, there's a seal of authenticity, very much like that in our Christian life. There is a, something at play in this passage that we're looking at today here in Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 17. Uh, we see this, this, this seal. There is, there is evidence of the assurance of our salvation found in Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 17. And that evidence is ultimately driven by the Holy Spirit, who is the seal of our authentic relationship with Christ. And so everything that we're going to look at this morning is going to drive in that direction. Let's read the text. Romans 8, 12 to 17 says this. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of, of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. There is an awful lot to unpack in this passage here this morning. Um, but we're going to do it line by line, verse by verse, as we always do. Um, first of all, just starting right away in verse 12, 12a, it says, So then, brothers, we are debtors. I want you to notice and draw your attention to the word so then. Uh, in the original Greek, there's two words that make up arun. Both of them are often translated when they're by themselves as therefore. Um, when they're together, it kind of has, so then is a good translation. It gives you this concept of what came before it matters um, for what comes next. Uh, a more clumsy way, but probably a, a more easy way to understand this would, would be to translate it, therefore then, or consequently therefore. Um, and whenever you see the word therefore, uh, you have to ask the question, what's it there for, right? Uh, and so... What is it there for? What's the context of this? When we look back in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, and I mean, 
the immediate context of Romans chapter 8 is there is therefore now no condemnation. Um, God has already done what you couldn't do uh, by condemning sin in the flesh. Um, you get the, you, you've got the righteous requirement of the law met in you. Uh, if, in fact, the spirit of Christ dwells in you, you have all this in Christ. And um, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So then, consequently, therefore, then, brothers, and then what follows, right? So then, brothers, we are debtors. Hmm. That seems to be a, a little a language like debtors. What, what's the, I thought salvation was a free gift with no strings attached, and not all of a sudden we're debtors. Like, what does is, what is this concept of debtors mean? Um, another way to translate debtors is, and, and some, I think it's the Net Bible, translates it under obligation. Uh, either, it, it, you can translate it either way. Debtors are under obligation. They have both the same sense. But what does it mean to be under obligation in this context? Well, he answers the question right away in 12b. Um, first, he says, so, so then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. So right, right out of the gate, he tells us what we're not obligated to. We are not obligated to live according to the flesh. We're not obligated to live by our former way of life. We're not uh, obligated to live um, as dead men walking, right? Because we're not dead anymore. We're alive in Christ through the Spirit. Romans 8, 9 tells us this very thing. Jump your eyes back up a couple of verses. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And so, if you do belong to him, you are no longer indebted, you are no longer obligated to obey the flesh. I want you to notice a couple of things about, uh, about these verses. It says twice, to live according to the flesh, or if you live according to the flesh. Live according to the flesh is stated twice. I want you to notice the tense of the verb, live. What tense is it? Present tense. All right, it's present tense. And in the Greek, present tense isn't primarily concerned with the timing. There is a timing piece to, to Greek uh, verbs. It is primarily cons concerned with what's called aspect. And present tense has a continuous aspect. Um, that is the driving force here. And so when you, when you read it, it's a little bit clumsy to say it this way in English. That's why we don't translate it this way. But it has this concept of um, not to the flesh, to continually live according to the flesh. For if you continually live according to the flesh, you will die. Right? When you read it that way, when you understand it that way, it has the, the sense of it is, if it is characteristic of your life that you are continually living according to the flesh, you will die. Why? Why, if you continuously, characteristically live according to the flesh and ignore the spirit, will you die? It's because it is evidence that you don't actually have the spirit of Christ dwelling in you. And we're gonna unpack that as we go along. Um, but that gives us, that leads us, at, at the very end it says that you will die, right? And so right away that kind of inspires a little bit of fear in anybody, right? We don't wanna die. Um, and we all know that we mess up from time to time, right? And so what does it mean when he says that you will die? I believe that Paul here is talking about eternal death. Um, Damnation and hell forever. 
I think that that's what, what it means. That lends it to be a little bit scary to read it that way. But um, eternal death um, is, is, is going to be the case for those who characteristically sin and are dead men walking. What this is not saying is that you have to do, do, do in order to achieve, achieve, achieve your own salvation. What it is saying is if you don't characteristically live according to the Spirit, you are going to die because you are not really born of the Spirit if you don't live according to the Spirit. All right. Paul says it this way, um, and, and I think it also is referring to believers too. If you are a believer, you're not off the hook, right? You have the Spirit of God indwelling you. It is possible for you for a period of time to quench and ignore the Spirit. Paul even uses that language in places that we quench the Spirit sometimes. Um, But that isn't going to be characteristic of your life. Eventually, the Spirit is going to convict you and you're going to change. Uh, He says it this way in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I want you to notice that he says brothers, which means he knows he's addressing believers. He doubles down on that by saying that they're infants in Christ. All right. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way. Um, I want you to notice that, that Paul says, your brothers, your infants in Christ, basically, I'm, I'm writing to you as Christians, but you're babies. You're acting like babies, and here's how you're acting like babies. You, there's, what does it say? There's jealousy and strife among you. And, and that is evidence that you're behaving only in a human way. The Net Bible translates that as behaving as unregenerate people. And I think that gives the correct sense for what Paul is trying to communicate here. Yes, you are in Christ, but you are intentionally ignoring the fruits of the Spirit and living like an unregenerate person, even though you have the Spirit indwelling you. It is possible for that to happen as a believer. Verse 13b goes on to say, but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. By the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So we've already started out, it says you're not obligated to live according to the flesh. If you do, you're going to die. But then it goes on to say something that we are obligated to. What does it say? If you live by the spirit, if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So don't live by the flesh. Do live by the Spirit of God who, if you are in Christ, is already in you. There's really no other option. Another question that comes up is, why do we have to put to death the deeds of the body if we've already been made alive in Christ? Like he's already, I, mean, he, I mean, he says that in so many, so many places, uh, Romans 6, Romans 8, uh, before this, uh, that, that we are alive, we are new, we are new creations in Christ. Why do we have to put to death something that's supposedly already dead? Uh, and the answer is because in our fleshly bodies, there is still something left over that we have to fight against. And Paul is telling us that we will fight against it if in fact the spirit of Christ dwells within us. Um, I also want you to notice the tense of this verb as well. Just as important as live and uh, in the previous verse is in the present tense, um, 
put to death, and this one is also present tense. What is the sense of that? Present tense, continuous action of putting to death, right? But if by the Spirit you continually put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. How do we read that? What's the sense of that? The sense is, if it is characteristically true of you as a believer that you are putting to death the deeds, like you are making war with your sin and yielding to the Spirit, if that is characteristic of you, you will live. Not because you earned that by doing it yourself, but it's done by the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit indwells in you, because there is already therefore no condemnation for you, because you are in Christ Jesus, and the Spirit of God is manifesting himself in your life repeatedly. That is the sense that, it, that is being given here. And so I want you to notice that you put to death is just as important as by the Spirit. There is something that God is asking you to do here in this passage. It says, you put it to death. In other words, there is an expectation of action on your part. There is an expectation of hard work on your part. You don't just stay and be happy in the sin that, that Christ found you in. No, you push forward and, and, and improve and look more like Jesus as time goes on. But by the Spirit, and by the Spirit actually comes first, by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. You cannot do it without the Holy Spirit. This is not a pull up your bootstraps and I'm going to be more like Jesus so that I can have life. No, it's you have life because of Jesus and now you're going to look like him because there is really no other option. When you have the spirit of Christ living in you, you look like Christ, right? It's interesting, like, you know, and I've said this before a bunch of times, shame on me, um, but also I've heard people tell me like, this is, my, this is my sin over here. Like, I struggle with that thing, and I just, I can't beat it. I'm just resigned to that. I'm going to struggle with that till the day I die, and I, uh, I'm just kind of giving up, right? Well, interesting. Galatians 5, to 23 says this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control interesting um, so you're telling me you can't do something that the spirit of Christ in you says you will do because yeah self-control is the last fruit of the spirit and it's a doozy if you uh, and if you look at if you think about all the other fruits of the spirit love joy like it's really hard to be peaceful and have patience with people without self-control Right? It's, it's, really, uh, I mean, it's really hard to be good and gentle without self-control. Um, self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And the moment that you start saying, I can't do it, I can't control myself, and this thing that God has told me that the way my life should look, and I say, no, I don't want to do it because I just can't. False. You can because the Bible says that you can because the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. It's kind of the linchpin that holds them all together. Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 22 to 32. You have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Verse 22 says put off. 
Uh, verse 23 says, put on. It's the same concept here of put to death or walk in the spirit. Put off, put on. There is actual work to be done. He goes on to say in verse 25 of Ephesians chapter 4, Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbors, for we are members of one another. He's, he's starting to go into what does it look like to put to death? What does it look like to put off and to put on? Um, Paul doesn't specifically say it here in Romans chapter 8, but in, in Ephesians 4 he does. What does it look like? It looks like putting away falsehood. Stop lying to one another. Tell the truth to one another. Um, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Uh, it's interesting that we almost always apply that passage to the marriage relationship. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath as well we should. We should apply it to that situation. But Paul is primarily talking right here about our relationships with one another in the body of Christ. And so if you, are, if you find yourself upset with somebody else in the body of Christ and you choose to stay there, you are deliberately ignoring the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Verse 20, uh, 26, no, 27. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. What does it look like for a thief? A thief stops stealing. Instead, he works with his own hands to earn money. But he doesn't just spend that money on himself. He does good with that money. That's evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. It's interesting. I wasn't looking for this, but I was looking for passages that talked about put off, put on, put to death, kill. Every single time I came to one of those passages, it had something to do with our heart attitude and our speech and our actions towards one another as believers. Every single time. Every passage I can find has something about slander, has something about speaking evil of one another. Um, and I don't think that we should ignore it. Um, especially us here at Wildwood Church. I think that we need to hear this right now because, honestly, we struggle with it. And, and we need to stop. Just a little bit ago, we read this very verse is built into our... Um, um, What's that thing called that we read? The con not the Constitution, but the covenant, the member covenant, right? We covenant together to do these things. It, it literally says these things word for word, that we put away bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander. If you are deliberately living outside of the bounds of that, what you're actually doing is saying, Holy Spirit who dwells within me, if you're actually a believer, Holy Spirit who dwells within me, I don't want to be who you are. And that is hard to say out loud. Um, but it is what we're saying in our hearts when we willingly slander somebody else, when we willingly harbor malice and bitterness and rage towards someone else. Note that it's not saying not to deal with sin or issues or matters that have been wronged with you. But how do we handle it? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace 
to those who hear. Why do we do it that way? Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's a tall standard right there. Like, why are we kind to another? Why do we speak kindly to one another as a church? It's because the very one who gave his life for you was so tender-hearted and forgiving that he died on the cross for your sins. If you've placed your faith and trust in him, he now lives inside of you. He dwells in you. And his kindness, his tender-heartedness, his forgiving ought to manifest itself to you to others around you at all times. That is a big deal. Colossians 3, 5 through 10 says, uh, it says it this way. Put to death, using the same language that our passage in Romans says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Pastor Brian used this passage a few weeks ago uh, and, and, and used it wisely and well, saying, like, you know, we tend to look at this and we're like, oh, whew, good, I got those covered, Right? Um, I'm, I'm not sexually immoral, I don't have evil passions, I'm not idolatrous. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming, and we think, as well it should. Right? People who do those things ought to get the brunt end of God's wrath. In these you two once walked, oh snap, when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Oh no, he adds more things to the list, right? Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Why ought our speech and the way we treat one another uh, reflect the love of Christ, it's because the Christ is the one who is, is the creator of you, and he's the recreator of you. He is re-imaging you to be more like himself, and he dwells within you. And if you intentionally ignore the work that he's trying to do in your life, that should cause you concern. Uh, a bonus, like, there's so many passages, and I had to limit them, but I want to at least mention, you can look it up later, Second Peter 1, 3 through 11 very much unpacks this. Um, it, it starts out with his divine power has granted us everything we need for life and godliness. And then he, he lists off this list of things that are related to the fruit of the spirit that you're supposed to continually be adding to your repertoire as a Christian, right? And, and he closes with, make your election sure by practicing these things. What Peter is not, he's agreeing with Paul, Peter is not saying that you do these things in order to be elect. He's saying you do these things as evidence of the fact that you are elect. Remember, it starts out with his divine power has granted us everything we need for life and godliness. Your life ought to look like the spirit if in fact you have the spirit and if in fact you have life. What does you will live mean? We talked about what does death mean? Death means eternal death. I believe that he is also talking when he says live, that you will have eternal life. Not that you have earned eternal life by practicing fruits of the spirit. You can't practice fruits of the spirit on your own, but he is talking about eternal life here. Why? Because if you characteristically are putting to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. Why? Because the spirit of Christ is the only thing that can put the deathless deeds of the flesh in you, and you just have to cooperate with him. To this point, we've seen that the evidence of our assurance of salvation is that we characteristically put to death the deeds of the flesh, 
which is evidence of the Spirit's indwelling presence and work. This passage is going to go on and, and, and give us some more evidence of the Spirit. Um, in what ways does the Spirit confirm the believer's position or status in Christ? Verse 14 tells us, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. This verse, in essence, is a very good summary of verses 12 and 13. He's just stating the obvious of what 12 and 13 says. If you're led by the Spirit of God, you're sons of God. Uh, verse 15 goes on to say, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. An evidence of the assurance of salvation is that you are not walking around afraid of whether or not God is going to condemn you to hell. Remember, Romans 8 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You will have assurance of your salvation if you're actually in Christ Jesus because you are walking according to the Spirit, because you're yielding to the Spirit. Sin enslaves and leads to fear. Uh, it, it always does. Um, and, and we often, we walk around in our lives oftentimes thinking, like, like I like my sin and I want to keep doing it because like, I don't think I can quit it and I, I fear what I'll miss out if I stop doing whatever it is that I, I want to do that God says I shouldn't do. And, that's a, and we don't realize that that very thing is actually killing us and making us feel terrible. I uh, kind of liken it to, um, what do you guys call it? I call it soda. You guys call it uh, pop around here, right? Um, you know, in my, in, in my neck, from my neck of the woods, uh, pop is like, pop someone in the jaw, right? So that sort of confuses the issue for me. Um, even worse is y'all Texans calling it Coke. Everything's a Coke. That's, that's even more confusing because like Dr. Pepper is not Coke, okay? <laughs> but um, so we're going to call it soda. It's my illustration. I'm going to call it soda. Um, so when I was, I grew up drinking soda. I like soda. I still like the taste of it. I don't drink it anymore. I haven't really. I've Every once in a while I do, and I feel terrible when I drink it now. But I stopped drinking soda when I was in, um, in college. And, you know, up to that point, I had thought, you know, soda was um, like good. It gives you energy. It's got sugar and caffeine. That's supposed to give you energy, right? Um, similar to, like, these days, energy drinks are all the thing. Um, they promise to, like, give you energy, high highs and whatnot. Well... I did, what I, I learned in health class in college that soda is actually bad for you. I knew that it wasn't really necessarily good for you, but like there's the commercials like Michael Jordan drinks soda and so does LeBron James, and, right? So if they drink it, I mean, I could be like Mike. Um, <laughs> but once I realized what was actually in it, I stopped drinking it and surprise, surprise, when I started drinking water, you know what happened? My energy went through the roof. I was like, I didn't realize how terrible I felt drinking that garbage all that time, right? Um, the same is true of sin, right? In our lives, sin actually makes us feel terrible. We think it's good. We think that, that sounds fun. But the reality is, is it's killing you. It's sapping you of the life that God has for you, the abundant life that God has for you. Um, it's interesting it's interesting that uh, it says, um, if you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. What is the opposite of fear? 
Um, ever think about that? Like, what's the opposite of fear? I looked up antonyms to, for fear because like, the word wasn't coming to my mind. I couldn't, couldn't figure it out. One of the f- top antonyms for fear, like Google is never wrong, right? Uh, one of the top ones that was listed was assurance. Surprise, surprise. But this passage is all about the evidence of the assurance of our salvation and our life in the spirit. The opposite of fear is assurance. If you continue to do the things that the Spirit says that you should not do, you continue to act in a way that's not the Spirit, uh, you're going to be afraid. Why? Because you look at your life and you say, that's not Jesus. That's not Jesus in me. And so you have every right to be concerned about the fact that you're not yielding to him. However, if you do, if characteristically you live according to the Spirit, you can see that in your life over time, things continue to get better in your life because you're yielding to the Spirit and the fear dissipates. I ask a question, right? Who is Matt really? Talking about me. Who am I really? Uh, I'll tell you who I am in the flesh, right? I, yeah, and anybody who's known me for a long time, will tell you, my wife can tell you, how early on in our marriage, Although I had been saved for almost 20 years at that point, um, I was a hothead, I had a short temper, uh, I wanted to get revenge when people wronged me, and I had a really short fuse. Um, and most of you who know me now say, Matt, you're nothing like that. Um, like, that's like the complete opposite of who you are. No. No. Inside, I'm still the hothead. Um, what you see is Jesus. Um, so I'm thankful to see the spirit at work in my own life not in a prideful way but because it gives me assurance that Jesus is actually at work in my life I still struggle from time to time sometimes I snap Um, it doesn't happen nearly as often as it used to uh, but it still happens and the spirit convicts me um, much more quickly than he used to Um, so one of the evidences of the spirit is that we do not have we're not slaves of fear anymore why not because we're yielding to the spirit and we can see his evidence in our lives that gives us comfort that we are actually in him Um, verse 15 goes on to say but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry Abba Father um, notice the Abba, the Abba Father stands out to me. Why? Because Jesus said it in Mark chapter 14, verse 36. We won't read the whole thing, but it should be up there. Um, Abba Father is what Jesus prayed to the Father in the garden. And so in essence, what Paul is saying is that when we have the Spirit of Christ in us, he actually communicates with the Father on our behalf and says, Abba Father. That is an amazing thing that we can have that Abba has the, the sense of almost like daddy. And so that familiar, 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 familial relationship that we have with God uh, through the Spirit is something amazing. It's specifically referred to as adoption. Adoption is a legal term, uh, just like justification is. And, and just like justification is permanent and you can't undo it, so is adoption. We have a number of uh, people, uh, a number of people have been adopted in our church, and that is a beautiful thing. And it's beautiful to see those families function as though that adopted child is, in fact, 
every bit the same and, uh, and, as their biological children if they also have biological children. It is such a beautiful picture of what Jesus has done for us, what the Father has done for us in adopting us as his children. And it goes on to say that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs of Christ. Like we actually get all the rights and privileges that the, the Son of God, Jesus, has. And except for the fact that we're not God, and some people will, there's this little God theology going on. You're not little gods, okay? You're not little gods. You are, but you have all the rights and privileges that the Son of God, who is God, has through adoption by his spirit. Uh, Galatians 4, 4 through 7 unpacks this a little bit. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. There it is again. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, an heir to God, then an heir through God. Right? We move actually from being a slave to being a son in God's eyes. There's a complete shift. and You're no longer a slave of sin. You are now a son of God. And you ought to look like one because he dwells within you. You might be thinking, okay, Pastor Matt, I'm not sure that that, that actually describes me. How is it I want to become a son of God? I want to look like Jesus. I don't want to look like I look right now. How is it that I get there? It's not by pulling up your bootstraps. And in the Gospel of John, John tells us in John 1, 12 to 13, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. How is it that you become a child of God? You believe. You believe in the only name of the Son of God who died and gave his life for you. That is the path to being a child of God. When you are a child of God, you will increasingly look like you're his because he indwells you with his presence. 1 John 3, 1. 1 John chapter 3 and 4 explain this in great detail. I encourage you to read them. Look at verse, chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Uh, it goes on to say in verse uh, 4 through 6, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. In other words, the person that dwells in you through the Spirit, there is no sin in him, and he actually died not just to forgive you your sins, but to take them away, right? It goes on to say, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. That has some shock value to it, does it not? Like if you willingly live your life continuously saying no to the spirit, that should be a warning sign for you. That you're not willing to do what God commands in his word and you're just gonna do it your way, that should be a warning. Why? Because no one who continues to sin has either seen God or known him. First John 3.10 kind of nails it home. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. 
That is a, that is a tall order. That is a strong statement. And again, it, John agrees and does not uh, disagree with Paul at all. You are not loving your brother in order to earn favor and earn your place with God. You love your brother because you have God through Christ's spirit dwelling in you. It will evidence itself in your life. Verse 16 and 17, we'll read again. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Um, I want you to notice the connections that are being made here. There's a, there are several if-then statements that happen here. If you're led by the Spirit of God, then you are adopted, then is understood, then you're adopted sons of God. If you're adopted, son, if you're adopted sons of God, then you are heirs of God. And if you're heirs of God, then you are co-heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. That is also, in, in the ESV it says provided, in the Greek it says if. In other words, if we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. This is a hard thing to teach. And uh, you know, you could go to or listen to any number of very large popular churches in our country, and uh, they would teach you that uh, as long as you, you follow God, if you sow a seed and give money to the, the church and, uh, and have enough faith that you will be prosperous, you'll get money and you'll be healthy, uh, wealthy and wise and, and all this good stuff. We don't teach that garbage here um, because it's not true. It's not true at all. That's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, in fact, it teaches the opposite. This is one of the places where it teaches that. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Jesus himself says it this way, John 15, 20 to 21. Remember what I told you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they obeyed my word, they will obey yours too. But they will do all these things to you on account of my name because they do not know the one who sent me. In other words, Jesus says, if you want to have a relationship with me, if I'm going to live and dwell in you, guess what? You're going to suffer. That is because the evil one hates the fact that you are living according to God's standards. And he's going to try and make you pay for that. Second um, Timothy 3.12, Paul says this, Now, in fact, all who want to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Uh, it's kind of hard to, to step around that. If you want to live like God wants you to live, people are going to look at you cross-eyed at, at least and probably make fun of you and could also want to kill you as a result at some, at some point these days. Uh, 1 Peter 4, 12 and 19 perhaps unpacks this better than any other passage with regards to suffering. It says, Dear friends, do not be astonished that a trial by fire is occurring among you as though something strange were happening to you. In other words, this, should be, this is normal. This is normal when you suffer for Jesus. But rejoice in the degree that you have shared in the sufferings of Christ so that when his glory is revealed, you may also rejoice and be glad. Notice the similarity to verse 13 to verse 17 in Romans chapter 8. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified him. Verse 13 back in uh, 1 Peter 4. Rejoice the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ so that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad and rejoice. 
right? If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory, who is the spirit of God, rests on you. There's that language of the spirit again, right? You, you, you don't rejoice because you suffered and you've earned, you've earned a, a gold star in God's eyes. No, you suffer because the spirit of glory rests on you. It's evident that he rests on you. And so, as a result, the evil one wants to persecute you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or a criminal or as a troublemaker. But if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but glorify God that you bear such a name. Like you already bear that name because his spirit dwells in you. That is why you get to call yourself a Christian. So then let those who suffer according, this is verse 19, jump down to verse 19. So then let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator as they do good. We entrust our souls to a faithful creator to save us from our sins. And we do good because his spirit is at work within us. As we, we close here, um, as the worship team comes back, you have really two possible feelings right now. Um, you probably either are thinking, man, I'm so thankful that the spirit of God indwells me. I know I'm confident in my salvation because I see him at work in me, or you feel fear because you say, I look at my life and there are areas where I am ignoring the fruits of the spirit and I've done so intentionally for most of my life. And so the question I want, want you to wrestle with right now is which, which one are you? Where, where do you fall? If you fall, if you fall in the, the category of praise God, then let's worship him together and give thanks to him for how good and glorious he is that he is at work in our lives. If you fall into the latter category where you're afraid and you're not really sure, do I really have the spirit of Christ falling in you? Maybe that's something that you need to do business with God today. Um, in a moment here, as, as we're singing this last song, I'm gonna invite the elders to come up here to the front. And if you need somebody to pray over you or to help you through something, um, or you want to come pray for salvation, I encourage you to come up here and, and pray with somebody right here, right now. Um, recognizing that it could either be that you, you just need to get right with God, that you have the spirit in, in dwelling you, and you just haven't been, you've just been ignoring him. Or it might be that you don't have the spirit and today you need to believe and trust in him and receive the spirit. Either way, I invite you to come forward now. Hey, thanks so much for watching online. I hope that this message has inspired you to greater faith, has encouraged you, maybe convicted or challenged you. We're grateful to be able to provide this content to you online, live and on demand. If you haven't done so already, Follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on YouTube so that we can get this content right to you as soon as we upload it. But you know, we believe that as a follower of Jesus Christ, that you need the body of Christ. You need the local church. And so if you're in the Quad Cities, let me invite you to personally join us in person for our gatherings on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 1040. If you're not in the Quad Cities, I wanna encourage you to go find a local church that teaches the Bible, that serves the community, that loves Jesus, that gives grace. Well, hey, thanks again for watching, and we hope that you were blessed.